this is the word of, of the Lord. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. He was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you that you gather us here, your, your children, to, to teach us and speak to us. And um, we uh, pray that uh, you would lead us through this passage to the, the great physician of our souls, our Savior, Jesus. And that we, uh, by hearing about his grace and love, we might be healed by him. And so send your Holy Spirit, take these words and apply them into each of our lives and uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are looking at one of the most powerful sayings from our Lord Jesus about the meaning of our faith. And it comes when uh, a group of religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, complain that Jesus is eating with uh, tax collectors and sinners. And it says there in verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that statement is so simple, but it's so deep into speaking to the heart of what Christianity is all about, that Jesus says our relationship to him is as a sick patient with a physician. That's what our relationship with him is like. And and uh, so only the sick, people who are sick are the only ones who come to Jesus, who love him, who trust him, who um, thank him. And the people who say, you know, I'm fine, I'm not sick, everything's good, and my life will never understand him. They won't love him, they won't follow him, they won't come to him, they won't know him. Because we only go to the doctor, when do we go to the doctor? When something is wrong. And what is it, and so, which means that Christianity will not have meaning to us unless we know that we are sick. And what does it mean to be sick? Well, when your body is sick, it means you're, it's not functioning right. It means you can't do the things that you're supposed to do. You can't work. you, you got to stay in bed. You, you have to rest. You don't have strength. You don't have energy. And, uh, well, these tax collectors and these sinners, it's not their bodies that are sick, but it is their soul that is sick. They're spiritually sick. And your soul is the part of who you are. That it's the animating power of your life that drives all your decision-making, your relationships, the things you do, the goals, your desires. The thing that's driving your life is your soul. And being spiritually sick means that I am not able to love God and love other people. And maybe some of you, you know that experience of that sickness. Like if you've tried to pray. And you say, you know, I just don't have the spiritual vitality in me to know what to say. My mind gets distracted. I, I'm not even sure I really want to pray. 
or be close to God. Or maybe you feel that about love for other people. You say, you know, I'd love to be close to people. I just can't do it. It's, it's hard for me to love people. It's hard for me to be loved. And it's kind of like being asked to throw a ball when your arm is broken. It doesn't matter how much willpower you have, you can't throw that ball. It's broken. It needs to be healed. You need a physician to heal you. And Christianity begins by realizing my soul is broken. And so today we're talking about being spiritually sick and finding Jesus as the great physician of the soul. And we'll do that by considering five things that, the spiritually sick, that this passage says that the spiritually sick need. Five things that we need. This is what they are. is that the spiritually sick need teaching, community, protection from legalism, repentance, and ultimately we need a physician. What do the spiritually sick need? They need teaching, community, protection from legalism, repentance, and ultimately a physician. And I really hope this, this verse, I think, really captures the vision of Christchurch, what Christchurch, who we are as a community, what we're about. This is like right in the center of the bullseye. So five answers. What do the, the spiritually sick need? And the first answer is this. The spiritually sick need teaching. The spiritually sick need teaching. And you see that in the beginning of this passage of verse 13, how it says, Jesus went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And over and over uh, again in the Gospels, we see that the great physician of the soul is a teacher, which makes sense because that's really what doctors are, is they're teachers. Most of the time when you're talking to a doctor, they're explaining to you things about your body. You don't really know your body, it just it hurts. And they're telling, well, this is what happens, this, you know, this bone or this muscle or this organ works, it functions this way and this way it's not working. Then they tell you the things you need to do to make it function better, eat these foods or do this physical therapy. And what that means is a big part of being a patient means a willingness to learn from your doctor, that they have information that you don't have, that you don't understand yourself. And uh, my, my dad uh, passed away uh, three years ago, and he had a, a rare disease called amyloidosis. And uh, it was a disease that was, was killing him. And uh, we had to learn about it. My mom did a tremendous amount of research about how do you understand this disease. And it was systemic disease. So you had to, the heart doctor knew some things, and the kidney doctor knew some things, and the primary care physician knew some things. And it was, being sick was a process of learning. And some of you have had that, whether, you know, maybe you've been a cancer patient and you said, all of a sudden I became an expert in chemotherapy and, you know, I had to study all kinds of things about, about cancer or another sickness. You had to learn about your sickness and the different treatments and how they work. And it's the exact same when we come to Jesus as the great physician of our souls that we don't understand what's wrong with us. And so we need to be tr- taught by the expert. And Jesus is the one who made our souls. He is the expert. And so the spiritually sick need teaching. And, you know, we probably understand a lot less about our souls than we do about our bodies. I mean, at least we probably had uh, anatomy classes growing up. So we kind of know what a femur is or, you know, where our liver is or our lungs are. We know some things about our body, but the soul is a mystery. We didn't have classes on how our soul works or the inside and outs of how it functions. 
And so we need the teacher to instruct us. And that's why so much of Christianity is a learning process. That's why you're here. You, every week we come and we, we listen to God's word and we read books and we study together. There's an intellectual process because the spiritually sick need teaching. But I'll tell you, when my, my dad was sick and my mom was learning about amyloidosis, one of the, the best places for her to learn about this disease was in communities that she found online. Other people who had loved ones with the same disease or who themselves had the same disease and are trying to figure out different treatments and how do you... And, and so learning happened in community. And that's really the second thing that we see in this passage is what the spiritually sick need is not just teaching to understand what's wrong with us, but they need community. The spiritually sick need community. And I, I think it's one of the distinct qualities of Christianity among the spiritual traditions of the world is that Christianity is highly communal. We are not saved as individuals. Our spiritual lives are not as individuals. We are saved into a family. You know, you're adopted by God. He's your father. And then you have all these brothers and sisters. And the main spiritual activity that we do in our life is here. You know, the word church means an assembly. It's a group of people coming together. It's not something that I do by myself. And you see in this passage that Jesus calls Levi, a tax collector, to be his disciple there in verse 14. It says, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. So here's Levi, who decides to be a disciple of Jesus. And what happens immediately next? Verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And it's a little unclear the way Mark writes it. Whose house is this? They go and they have dinner at this house. And we know from the other Gospels it was Levi's house. And so Levi follows Jesus, and uh, what being a follower of Jesus first looks like for him is not going off by himself and doing spiritual disciplines. It looks like having a dinner party. And he invites all his friends that are tax collectors and that are sinners. And then with Jesus, there's already a group of disciples who are forming around Jesus. And this is precisely what the church is. It is a community of healing with Jesus at the center. That's who we are. And uh, it's been said that uh, the way that we should see the church is, is as a hospital. We are not here because we're the righteous. We're not here because we're healthy. We're here because we're sick. We're here because we need to be healed. We're here because we're sinners. And the spiritual sickness that you and I are battling is a chronic sickness. You are going to be battling it your whole life. And that's why when we come here, one of the things, first things we do on Sunday morning here, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years, we still confess our sins. The disease of the soul is sin, and it's a disease that we are going to be dealing with until we die and go be with the Lord in glory. We might make progress with it, but we're never done with it in this life. And so we shouldn't be the least surprised that the people in the church have problems, that we all have problems. That's why we're here, all of us. It's not because we're healthy, it's because we're sick. And so you're going to find that there's broken people here. And why does it make sense that spiritual healing can only happen in community? Is because when you ask, what is our sickness? Our sickness is that we don't know how to love God or to love 
other people. And so if you're going to have healing of that kind of sickness, it can only happen in community. How are you going to learn to love people without other people? You can't do that by yourself. You can only love in community. And it only makes sense when the great physician of the soul comes, Jesus, the Son of God, the fountainhead of love from all eternity. When he calls us, it's not going to look like us being by ourselves, closing our eyes and meditating. It's going to look like a dinner party. That's what it would look like if the healing came into our lives. The spiritually sick need community and specifically a community with Jesus at the center. Now, some of you might hear that and say, I long for that. I long for the, the dinner party with Jesus at the center of it. And, you know, the broken who are coming and finding healing and learning to love one another, the whole picture of that kind of community sounds so romantic to me. And as soon as we make a kind of romanticized picture of the church, though, there's a danger to that. And um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a theologian living in Germany during the rise of the Third Reich, and he formed this kind of underground, clandestine uh, uh, community at Finkenwald, and he wrote a book about their community life together called Life Together. And a lot of people have read Life Together and said, wow, it's so beautiful, this spiritual community that, that Bonhoeffer was forming. But in chapter one of Bonhoeffer's book on spiritual community, he gives a warning about the dangers of a romanticized vision of the Christian community. This is what he says. Every human wish dream, and by a wish dream he means the romanticized picture of what the church should be. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself, becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. What Bonhoeffer is saying is that we need community. But when we have some idealized picture of the church that we love more than the actual sick souls that Jesus has brought here to find healing, I love my picture more than the actual people that came, then uh, we end up destroying the community. And throughout history, there, Christian theologians have insisted that uh, um, these idealized visions of the Christian community are not what Jesus was forming. Jesus was far more realistic about the kind of people he was gathering together. And that's really our third point from this passage. And so first we see that the spiritually sick need teaching. They need to understand what's wrong with them. They need community. That's where, you know, where we learn to love is by being around other, with other people. But the third thing is that the spiritually sick need protection from legalism. Protection from legalism. And what I mean by legalism is legalism is adding laws to the Bible to try to keep the Christian community extra pure. Legalism is adding laws to the Bible to try to make the Christian community extra pure. And when religious people add laws to God's word, it creates a subtle sense of shame around things that should not be considered shameful. And you see that kind of legalism is, happens in this passage there in verse 16 where it says, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw 
that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. And Dan Allender says that shame is an experience of the eyes. When someone looks upon something disapprovingly, and they're looking on Jesus saying he shouldn't be eating with them. And, and, uh, and they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And what they're basically saying is it's shameful for Jesus to love these people. And Bonhoeffer says this kind of extra pure vision of the community has to be banished. And that's exactly what Jesus does in this passage. And I love how, you know, the, the scribes of the Pharisees, they don't go talk to Jesus about who he's eating with. They go talk to the disciples. They say, hey, what's up with your rabbi? He's eating with these people. And Jesus overhears it. You know, Jesus is aware of the kind of conversations that are happening in the community. He overhears it. And he says, you know, I'm going to shut this down right away. And so you, over, you see what it says in verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's protecting the sick from legalism. And you might hear this and wonder, what does Jesus mean when he says those who are well have no need of a physician? Does that mean there are some people who are well and that there are some people who are sick? Well, we know in other places in the Bible that it says that all people have, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So all of us have the disease of sin. There aren't any well people. And we know from other places in the Gospels that Jesus means here people who think they are well have no need of a physician. If you think you're, you're good, everything's healthy, you're not going to come to the, the physician for healing. And, and in another place in the Gospel of John, Jesus says to the Pharisees, if you were blind you would have no guilt. But now you say we see, uh, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so it's not that they really can see, it's because they say that they can see. That's how they view themselves, is that they can see and that they're not blind. And the legalist has not accepted his own sickness or blindness. And the legalist doesn't want Jesus eating with the tax collectors and the sinners because the legalist doesn't realize that the same disease that they have is in the legalist as well. And Jesus is saying, we have to protect the spiritually sick from this kind of legalism. And I want to give you an example of, of how this kind of thing can, can happen in a church. Um, we, there was a woman many years ago who had come to our church. who She was a single mom who had uh, just come out of an abusive relationship. And I remember when she first heard about the love and grace and the forgiveness of Jesus and just tears pouring down her eyes. And so she wanted to bring her son to raise him in the church and she was working hard to support him and she would uh, come here and help us set up communion on Sunday mornings and set up the coffee. And one Sunday morning she was here and she overheard uh, some people talking about how people should be better dressed when they come to church. And she immediately thought they were talking about her that she wasn't dressed well enough. And of course, the Bible says you clearly says you should not judge people based on how they're dressed when they come to church. But what it said to her is, I don't belong here. And the shame of that stung her so deeply, she left, she never came back. And it was so profound. I don't, oh, I don't belong here. There is something wrong with me. And when you're sick, you know, there's a certain embarrassment that goes with being sick. If you've had, you know, an illness that you're like, you know, I'm not sure I want anyone to know about this, that what's wrong with me and my body's not working right and it's, uh, it's hard. Like, 
for people to know about that, there's a certain sensitivity to, to shame. And if we are all sick in our souls, that means there's things that are wrong with us that aren't functioning right. There is an, uh, there's a, the, the possibility of embarrassment and shame that we have to be vigilant to make sure that it's not driving the sick away from Jesus. And that's what these scribes and Pharisees were trying to do. Is they're trying to shoo off these tax collectors who have come to Jesus to be healed. The subtle shame of legalism needs to be banished with vigilance. Now I want to add one point to that though. This doesn't mean that we should never feel shame. God has made shame, and there are things that we should feel shame about. I mean, these tax collectors, they worked for the Roman Empire, and uh, they were uh, intimidating people. They'd go into villages, and they would extract more taxes than they were supposed to so that they could keep all the money for themselves. And they were using violence, and they'd have soldiers with them, and all the people hated them. They should have felt ashamed of doing that to people. There's an appropriate shame. Shame is supposed to alert us that something is wrong in us. And so alongside the need to protect the church from legalism, there's also a fourth point that we see in this passage, is that the spiritually sick also need repentance. So the spiritually sick need teaching, they need community, they need protection from legalism. But the fourth thing we see is that the spiritually sick need repentance. And there are many people in our generation who would say, oh yeah, I grew up in a legalist environment, a legalistic environment, and it was oppressive, and it was suffocating, and I just never want to be in an environment like that again. But there can be kind of an overreaction to legalism that says, I don't want to hear about sin, anything that would make me feel bad about anything that I've done. I don't want to be called to obedience to follow Jesus. And, um, and the word for this is, is antinomianism. It, uh, which means, anti means against, and namas means the law, so it's against the law. And an antinomian basically says, God loves me so much that I don't really need to obey him or hear about obedience. Or, or an antinomian might say about the church that this community should be one of absolute acceptance. I should only feel affirmed here in whatever decisions that I want to make with my life. And you will not find that kind of attitude from the great physician of our souls in the Gospels. Jesus was not that way. And doctors don't just affirm people. Doctors got to be honest with people. You know, doctors should listen well to people. They should be understanding. They should be gentle. But, you know, a surgeon needs to cut out the cancer. That's how you care for someone. You, a, a doctor sometimes has to say hard words about things that need to change in a person's life. And Jesus was the same way. And in this passage, when he says in verse 17, I came not to call the righteous but sinners, Jesus was calling these sinners to repentance, to turn away from their sin and to turn to him and to find his grace and to find a new life. And in Luke's gospel, he had, there's a similar saying from Jesus, and this is what he says there. He says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus is clear that when we realize we're sick, that he's going to call us to changes in our life, to turn, you know, change how we live. And our sickness is that we don't know how to love. 
We don't know how to love God. We don't know how to love other people. And the thing is that people who think, I just want to be affirmed in whatever I, decisions I make in my life, people like that are not loving. Love means dying to yourself. Love involves discipline. Love involves being dependable. And a community that has no call to repentance will not be a community of love. It's going to be a community of selfishness. And uh, that's why Jesus says the spiritually sick need repentance. They need to accept that many things need to change in my life. And I'll tell you, it is a hard thing to be in the church. Uh, we, we have such dreams of what the, you know, the church is like, wow, it's a hospital where the spiritually sick are coming to be healed by Jesus. It's so beautiful. But the fact that it's a hospital means that the church is filled with broken people. You are broken. I'm broken. And so the church is going to let us down. And we must all settle in our hearts that at the end of the day, I'm not here because of any people or any leaders. I'm here because Jesus is here. And he is the one who will not let me down. And he is the one that I need. And so that leads uh, to the last point that we see in this passage, that the spiritually sick need teaching. They need to understand their sickness. They need community, a, a hospital that's built around the person of Jesus. They need protection from legalism. The, the care about how shame is turning the sick away might turn the sick away. But the spiritually sick also need repentance, that they're not going to be affirmed all the time and that there are things that need to change in our lives. But lastly and most important, we see that the spiritually sick need a physician. And I'll just say those words one more time from Jesus, that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus says, I am the physician of human beings. I am the one who heals and makes well human beings. And people have often asked the question, why do Christians always say that Jesus is the only way that you can be saved? And if you've asked that question, the question I would ask back to you is, who else is offering to save you? I mean, really, name a person. Who else is offering to be the physician of your soul, to, to fix things that you can't fix in yourself and heal you in ways that you can't heal yourself? Name the person. And someone might say, well, you know, my counselor's kind of a soul physician. Go ask your counselor, are you the savior of my life? And if that counselor is a good counselor, they will say, no, I am not the savior of your life. I really hope to be helpful to you. But I cannot take the burden of your sin and your brokenness upon myself and, and be the rescue of your life. I cannot do that. And the amazing thing isn't that, oh, wow, there's... Only one way that you can be saved. The amazing thing is that there is one person who says, I will heal you. I can take on the challenge of your soul, the brokenness of your soul. I will take it upon myself. Come to me and I will heal you. There is a Savior is amazing. What a relief. What a hope. And as soon as we've realized that I can't heal myself, I can't fix myself. That's how Levi was in this passage. That's how these tax collectors and sinners were. Only then can we discover the great physician that he can teach us and he brings us into a community around him and he protects us and he guides us into repentance. And the only way that we can be healed by a physician is if we trust that physician. If you've ever had gone under having surgery, I mean, you got to trust that surgeon. They're going to put you to sleep 
and they're going to cut you open. They're going to go inside you, and they're going to uh, they're going to heal you. That's a tremendous act of vulnerability and trust. And the question is, why should we trust Jesus to have that kind of access to us and that kind of power in us? Well, the reason why you know Jesus is not a a physician with a white coat that takes care of the disease that we have, but doesn't get the disease himself. When Jesus went to the cross, he was being a totally different kind of physician, that he took the disease of our, not just our sins, but the sins of the world upon himself. He became our disease, and it was crucified on the cross. It was put to death. Our disease was put to death. And Isaiah says, by his stripes, we are healed. There is no physician like that in the world. And to us who don't know how to love God or to love people, he has healed us with the greatest act of love. And so today I invite you to come to the great healer of your soul and to trust him. Let him work his medicine on you, his medicine of love and grace and forgiveness. That being healed by him, you might have the strength at last to finally be yourself, to be who God made you to be and love the way that you were first loved by him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, we read in your holy word that Jesus came for those who are sick, for sinners, for the broken. What a tremendous hope. Lord, we feel that brokenness within ourselves. Um, we feel that we can't heal ourselves. And we pray that already through the words of this passage and through this service as we confess our sins, as we sing to you and pray, as we come to your table, that we would know your healing in our lives and that we would begin to love the way that you have loved us. And uh, so, Lord, uh, we pray that this church would, would be a hospital where the, the, the broken come and find uh, both safety and, and the challenge to repentance, but above all, that they would find that at the center of our community is the great physician of the soul, the Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.